If you've got a Bible near you and there's one within arm's reach, let's open to page 909, and that's where you can find Acts chapter 1. We're going to camp out there. We're going to be at the end of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 over the next couple minutes if you want to follow along, and I hope you do. So have you heard that blessing prayer? Dates back to Ireland, might have been on St. Patrick's breastplate and the armor that he wore goes something like this may God go before you to lead you to watch uh, above you to watch over you beside you to give you his comfort and within you to give you his strength a couple versions of that maybe you've heard one like it it's cute it's sentimental I bet I bet those words would have come in handy if you were one of the disciples standing on the mountain when Jesus ascends to heaven and goes above you. In these words that we have in Acts chapter 1. Today we're joining Christians all over the world looking at these very words. Luke tells us, he's the author of the book of Acts, that Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection appearing to his disciples, giving them many convincing proofs that he was alive and risen from the dead. It's Matthew who tells us that the disciples who were there with Jesus on another mountain in Galilee, sometime before the ascension, they worshipped him and some doubted. This means that if that's you today, if you're not sure about some of these things, if you're a Christian or not, that means you're in good company. We preached about doubts, how they're normal in April. Uh, You can find those on our website or our podcast feed. Before he leaves, Jesus tells his disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He tells them not to leave, but to stay in the city, and then he ascends to heaven. This is like a one of those places in the scriptures that seems sort of like a comic book, you know? He floats up to the sky. He disappears behind the clouds. The camera zooms out and catches the disciples looking at each other going, where did he go? And what are we going to do now? Where is Jesus? It's just as an important question for the disciples as it is for us. Where is he today? Where is he when we need him to come through for us? That's the question I want to ask over the next few minutes of our time together to take another look at this story that we just heard, the the blessing prayer, and to look at two aspects of it. I want to look first about the fact that he is above us. He's far And yet secondly, we'll look at the fact that he is near us, that he's with us, above us and with us. And then I'll tell you a story at the end that I hope that for you, as it did for me, will bring these two things together as we talk about the difference that it makes, that he's above us and that he is with us. First, that he is above us. In a couple minutes, we're going to say these words from the Apostles' Creed. We say them about every week. Give or slow down and think about the words that you say when we say he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. As 
metaphor is a bit lost on us as American Westerners today. If in the ancient world to be at the right hand of the king was a big deal, far more than it is today, because if you were on the right hand of the king, it meant that you could act on his behalf because you have his favor and because you have his power. Here's a picture of the throne room. London, England, zoom out a little bit. Here's a picture of the chair at the right hand of the king in the throne room in Buckingham Palace in in London, England. Favor and power, you could act on his behalf. Now, again, as American Westerners, it's a little bit different for us. It's a bit of a stretch to get our mind around the metaphor that the scriptures are using, that the church fathers are reflecting during the Kennedy administration. Ooh, that was close. During the Kennedy administration, John F. Kennedy's two kids had the run of the house. The place is theirs. Wherever they wanted to go and whenever they wanted to go, wherever they wanted to go. They could walk into his office most of the time. They were thirsty in the middle of the night. They could approach the most powerful man in the world for something as small as a cup of water. And if you're a Christian, it's not just that Jesus sits on the right hand of the throne of God and that he has the favor of the Father, but that you, a son or daughter, have the favor of the Father too, and there's nothing too big and there's nothing too small to him. Here's what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter four. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not just sometimes, anytime you have his favor, not because of how good you are, whether you've lived up to your standards for yourself or the standards of the people around you or whether or not you've lived up to his standards for you, because you can't. By grace, he's made to his and he's given you direct access to him in your time of need. It's a seat of favor, the right hand of the king, and it's a seat of power. Look at this, Ephesians chapter one. He put all things, that is God the Father, he, put all things under his, that is Jesus' feet, and gave him to Jesus as head over all things to the church. You see that word to in yellow there? Uh, It's very nuanced. It does not only mean to in Greek, but it can also mean the word for. For the sake of the church, God the Father has put Jesus on the throne and put all things under his feet for the sake of the church, for your sake, because you are the church and because you belong to him by grace. He is ruling and reigning over all things for your sake. And not just some things sometimes, but all things at all times. That means in your tears. He is ruling and reigning over all things and through your tears and in your weakness and through your mistakes. He is ruling and reigning over all things for your sake, because you are his and he has given you his favor, his grace and his mercy. Here's what it says right before this same chapter. This is verse 21. Let's go back to verse 19. It says, uh, Paul's praying about the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What's that mean? What's Paul saying? He's saying that the same power and the same spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the 
same spirit and the same power that's in you. He's in the greatness of his power toward us who believe. Through your tears, through your mistakes, and through your weakness, you belong to him, if you believe in him, even if, you're, if you struggle to believe in him, he's given you his spirit and his power. And this, my friends, is just only a glimpse of what it means to be at the right hand of the throne of God, not simply for Jesus, but for you who belong to him, who can act on his behalf, who have his favor and his power. That's number one. Now someone here says, well, that's all good, the throne room of God, favor of God, power of God, but what about a God who's near me when I need him, who comes through when it counts? He's above you, he's with you. Remember the words of Matthew chapter 28. It says, I am with you. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples, speaking to all of us. I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Part of the reason that we love these words is that as Westerners, this gives us a bit of a glimpse of a God who is there when we need him. And we love a God who is there when we need him because as Western Americans, we are so uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. We are so uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. And we slap this verse on our troubles. And we should, and that's okay. But often what we end up doing is that we make this verse a spiritual safety blanket. This is not a verse that's simply about our comfort and a God who comes to rescue us in our time of need. This is a verse about courage as we live God's mission. Jesus says, I am with you always. Wherever you go, I go with you. And wherever I go, I am always up to something good. If you were a first century Jewish person, it would be preposterous to claim that Yahweh God, holy, 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 would come near and become a human person and invite you into his throne room and give you personal access to his presence. And yet what do we find here? At the very last words of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, he's promising to do that to work through you and to come near you. Do you remember the words that open? Acts chapter one. We looked at them a few moments ago. It says this. Uh, this Luke, he's writing, he says, in my first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus might have been an actual person, that per perhaps was his name. Uh, Theophilus in Greek means God lover, theos, philos, or essentially those two words stuck together. This could have been, been a general person who is someone who belongs to Jesus and loves God. In the first book, O Theophilus, I, that's Luke, have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taking up. 
what's Luke saying here? The implication is that Jesus began to do things. I've already written volume one, and that Jesus continues to do things. The Greek word for acts is the word praxis. That sounds a lot like our English word practice. Luke is going to go on to describe in volume two about the church in action. So when Jesus is asked by the disciples if he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel, Jesus says, no. It's not up to you. You're not the king I am. It's not up to you to know when or how and where. Essentially what he's saying is this. I'm not going going to restore the kingdom for you. I'm going to restore it through you. Through you, the church, and not just through the church in a general way, but in a practical, physical, actual way. It is through you because you're the church and he rules and reigns over all things for you and through you. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 28. I am with you always at the very end of the age. That's what ends Matthew's gospel. But here's what it says right before that in verse 19. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Maybe these words are familiar to you if you grew up in the church. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and I am with you always the end of the age while you are going oh going wait that's not what that word says it says go all right grammar friends the word go is a verb what kind of verb is the word go as we see it here in english an action all right thank you very much what specific kind of action verb it's a command it sounds like an imperative the implication is as we read this in english today is go go somewhere else and do something different and be someone else and say different things and live a different life if you're going to go with God on mission and make disciples. You know here, the, the rendering from Greek as an imperative is a good one, but it's not the only nuance that this is a verb in Greek, but it's not just an imperative. It's actually a participle. Okay? What does that mean? A participle, you know, a word that ends in I-N-G, a continual action. Here's the same way, or a different way to translate the same verse, like this. While going. While going, make disciples, baptizing, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And while you are going, I am with you always. While going, not somewhere else, not someone else that you need to be, but right where you already are. And not simply to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, but in Centennial, Arapahoe County, Metro, Denver, and the ends of the earth. Not somewhere else, not someone else, but right where you already are while going. While you're at the restaurant, at lunch today, while you're walking your dog in your neighborhood, while you're interacting with the other parents of the kids on the field, where your kids are playing today while going wherever you are you're not alone I'm not just a spiritual safety blanket for you I've given you my presence my power and my favor as you go on mission today I'm with you always above you and with you alright let me tell you a story and we'll wrap up where's Jesus it's an important question for us. Above, far, near, close. The, paradoxically, the, the, the scriptures tell us both things at the same time. 
On Wednesday, I was in downtown Littleton, had lunch with some friends who were in from out of town at the View House, and spent the rest of the afternoon off campus working on this sermon. And I walked into a restaurant to uh, sit down at a table and open my laptop. I unpacked my bag and kind of looked around me. The place is pretty empty, and I realized that two tables over from me was a guy who I'd met a couple of weeks ago. And I knew him well enough that I had seen him. There's nobody there. I had to go over and say hello. This is a guy who has a son who plays on my younger son Jake, uh, my younger son Jude's football team, and uh, another son who plays on my oldest son Adam's football team. So I see him two hours every Sunday afternoon. Really, because the practices are right before the games, I spend four hours at Powell Middle School on the football field. I'm there with this guy, and so I went over and I said, "Hey, how are you?" and uh, we made some small talk for a couple minutes, and uh, he said, what are you working on? And I uh, said, well, I'm working on a sermon. He said, oh, well, where do you work? And I said, oh, I work at a church, because that's what you'd say, because it's true, right? I didn't really say it like that, I hope, at least. <laughs> and I noticed that on his laptop, he had a barcode on the, the top of it, it was open, and it said Kaiser Permanente. And I said, oh, I work, my church is right next to a Kaiser building. He said, oh, well, where's your church? I said, at Holly Street and Arapahoe. He said, oh, well, I work at the Kaiser at Holly Street and Arapahoe. And I, we were talking about how we were trying to get my son Jude in to, to, to that location that very morning, but uh, all the appointments were full, so we had to take him to urgent care. He's fine, by the way, and thanks for asking. And, um, <laughs> uh, so uh, we talked for a couple minutes, and I said, well, I'm sitting right over there, and if you want to stop by and uh, finish our beers together before you leave, uh, let's do that. So I'm, stop by. So I sit down, and I had to tell myself two things. Number one, I had to tell myself that maybe it wasn't an accident that I just happened to run into Jake at Jake's on a Wednesday afternoon. I had to tell myself that because it's not autopilot for me just because I'm a pastor. You know, I'm a human being. I'm a person just like you. I had to tell myself this, uh, that wherever I go, it's not just an accident that Jesus goes with me, that he's near me. And while I'm going, he's always up to something good. And he's my king. He's at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's the ruler over all of creation. And because he's the ruler over all of creation, if I'm too earnest, or if I'm too timid, if I try too much, or if I don't say enough, that means he's, I can't really screw it up because he's always with me, and he's the king, not me, and he has a view over all of creation that spans time and generations. And maybe it's no accident that the king of kings who sits at the right hand of the throne of God has put me in that place on that day at that table. So a couple hours go by. And I'm at a stopping point, and he's still working on emails. And I'm ready to leave, but I don't want to be the first one to leave. So then I pop open my laptop, and I start answering emails. You know, and I'm going to get down a rabbit hole sometimes, just in a wormhole. And times, just, I look up, and Jake's sitting across the table from me. And we make small talk for a few minutes. Oh, he moved from Ohio. Where did you move from? I moved from Florida. How long have you been here? Where do you live? Oh, I live over by the middle school where the football games are. 
I said, well, hey, I'm ready to walk out. You want to walk out together? He said, sure. So uh, we leave. And I said, hey, I'll see you Sunday. Because I know I'm going to spend at least two hours with him at two games this afternoon. It is a good thing that wherever we go, Jesus goes with us. That we're never alone. And he's not just with us to give us comfort, though he is there to do that. He is there to give us courage. And it is the King of Kings who sits on the right hand of the throne of God that wherever I go in, in Centennial or Littleton or Arapahoe County or Metro Denver or to the ends of the earth, that he always goes with me and he always goes with you. And he has a view of creation that spans generations. And he's always up to something good. I think we need more than a cute little blessing. We need the truth. That he is above us. As the king and we have his favor and his power and that he is with us. Someone says, how do, you, how do I know? How do I know that those things are true for me today? Well, my friends, today the king of kings steps down off his throne and walks right into your hand in a very practical, physical way to give you his presence and to say, I am with you. To forgive you and to renew you. He says, I'm with you in your tears and I'm with you in your weakness and I'm working through all of your mistakes and you are never alone. In bread and wine, his body and blood to renew and to forgive and to strengthen and he goes with you as you leave this place today. My friends, that is way more than a cute little blessing. That is a promise that you can count on. In the name of Jesus, crucified, risen, and ascended. For you and for me. Amen.